You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Well, friends, here we are. The first Sunday in the year of our Lord, 2024. I wish you a beautiful and a blessed year. With these words from Psalm 25, I pray them for myself, and I pray that you will pray them for yourself. Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. As we start the year, show me your ways, Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you. Amen. Well, friends, it is indeed a joy to be sharing God's word with you this morning. Uh, as I start a new sermon series that I'm calling Lessons from the Lake. For the next three weeks, they are primarily reflections from my own life over the last two months. It is a joy to be sharing them with you. I have missed you. I can only hope that you have missed me. It is good to be preaching God's word with you. It is a big moment for me, so I may or may not get emotional. Just don't worry about that. Just listen to what I say, and don't worry about my tears. Well, that is precisely what I'm trying to do, sister. (laughs) So friends, the start of a new year is historically and traditionally The time in the year where we reflect and we think back on things that were. We also reflect and think about things which we hope is in our future. And so we think along the lines of, well, I I would like to do less of, or I'd like to do more of. Essentially, we reflect on How can we change? How can we be better people? How can we flourish? How can we live up to our full potential? Are the kind of thoughts we think about this time in the year. And so I thought this series then is appropriate because in this series that I'm calling Lessons from the Lake, we will be looking at people's encounters with Jesus on or near the lake, the Sea of Galilee, which historically and in ancient times was really a symbol of new life and hope, a place of revival. And I want to look at uh, moments where Jesus encountered people on or near this lake, the Sea of Galilee, and we will see how their lives 
were changed. Encountering Jesus at the lake. And our first lesson from the lake is from the life of Peter. We can entitle the sermon, if you want, Jesus is Calling. We're going to talk about Peter next week as well, so by the way. The story we're going to be looking at is Peter, after a long, hard night of fishing, catching nothing, then encountering Jesus. Peter, tired, discouraged, and then Jesus shows up and changes his life and revives his soul. But first, let us pray. Oh Lord, just as the lives of men and women in the Bible were transformed as they experienced your living presence, so may I be changed as I encounter you afresh today. Come Holy Spirit, come for me anew and renew my faith. Revive me, I pray. Help me to flourish, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read this beautiful story. It's in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 5. We're going to read the whole story from verses 1 to 11. One day, Jesus was standing beside the lake. When the crowd pressed in around him to hear God's word, Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon. And then Jesus asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out farther into the deep water and drop, and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, well, master, um, we've worked hard all night, caught nothing, but because you say so, I will drop the nets. So they dropped the nets, and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled, in fact, for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. And when Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish that they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partners, and they were amazed too. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything 
and followed Jesus. Amen, and what a story. Let's see what we notice, what we can learn as we start a new year with a heart filled with the desire, I want to flourish, Lord. I want to be and live up to the potential that you created me with. I want you to revive my heart. I want you to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. With that attitude, with that heart, we approach the story. Well, now, uh, Jesus spent a lot of time at the lake. It's mentioned over 50 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Sea of Galilee, some fun facts, is about 21 kilometers long. It's about 13 kilometers across, and at its deepest point is about 45 meters deep. It is, interesting fact, it is the lowest freshwater uh, body of water on earth at about 215 meters below sea level. Interesting. I think most of us understand, if we can put those photos up, I got, a, I got a photo there for you. This is the Sea of Galilee. I think most of us, some of you have been there. Who's been there? Yes, there we go. I think most of us understand the beauty of the lake. The next photo, maybe just keep that photo up for a little while. The Sea of Galilee. I think most of us understand the beauty of the lake. Most of us understand just what it does to our soul. I think Jesus loved being at the lake. So imagine yourself now, if you can, use your imagination, picture yourself by the lake, and Jesus is teaching. Let's read again those first few verses. One day, Jesus was standing beside the lake when the crowd pressed in around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen, they'd gone ashore because they were washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, and then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. And Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Now, the first thing I want you to notice, friends, that this story takes place in the morning. It's important because we are meant to understand that Peter and Co. have been fishing all night. So understand what's going on in this moment. We have here Peter and friends, they have been working hard all night long. They are tired. They are discouraged, no doubt, because they caught nothing. Dare I say, perhaps even a little bit frustrated. Let me explain the process of night fishing for you very quickly, if it helps us understand the story a little bit better. So what they would have used, they would have used what's known as a trammel net. I think I've got a photo for you. There we go, a trammel net. So it was a net that you would launch from a boat. There would be some cork or something to help the net float at the top, some weight at the bottom. And the idea was that the fish would then swim into this trammel net. They did it at night time because the fish, because remember the nets were pretty, well, let's say rustic. 
back in those days. And so this way, at nighttime, the fish could not see the net. And what they would then do is they would take a light and either put it uh, on the water on a piece of cork or attach it to the boat somehow. And the idea was that the light would attract the fish. Because it's night, they can't see the net. They swim into the net. And so they would then pull out, pull the uh, nets back into the boat, check it for fish, launch the nets out into the water again, and repeat this process all Night, long, hard work. On this day, this morning, they caught nothing. They are tired. I don't know who here has ever worked night shift. I did as a student. It's not great. Never mind night shift of manual labor as fishing was in those days. You are ready to go to bed the next morning. And so here we find the story. They are cleaning their nets. They're ready. The boat is pulled out of the water, cleaning the nets. They're ready to pack away and go to bed. Disappointed, tired, frustrated, discouraged because they had nothing to go and sell at the market to feed their family for that day. And it is in this context that this preacher, Jesus, comes to Peter. Will you notice wanting to borrow Peter's stuff. <laughs> Has God ever wanted to borrow your stuff? Wanting to borrow his stuff. Now listen. I think it's fair to say that Peter could have come up with a million excuses. But we are meant to notice that he did not. And so when Jesus got into his boat and asked him to push the boat out a few meters onto the lake, Peter obeyed. I want to say to you at this point, and it's very important to note, that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly whose boat he was getting into. He knew exactly the name of the guy who owns that boat. He knew it was Simon's boat. He knew Simon had been fishing all night long and caught nothing. Jesus knows what he's doing at this point, dear friends. Let's, let's understand that about the story. He knew he wanted Simon Peter to be one of his disciples. Simon doesn't understand this. He doesn't know this yet. But Jesus does. Jesus knows that he is the one and his declaration of the lordship of Jesus is what he will build his church on. Picture the scene. Here is Peter. A few meters onto the lake. And Jesus begins to preach, and he's ready for bed. 
Can you imagine him sitting there with his head in his hands? I can. When is this preacher going to stop? How much longer is a sermon going to carry on for? We don't know how long Jesus preached, but I'm almost certain his sermon is longer than mine. And there's Peter on the boat. He can't go anywhere. Dare I say he was trapped. He's stuck on the boat. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Peter is on the boat. And Jesus is preaching. Luke does not tell us what Jesus is preaching about. But that's not important. What is important is what's happening with Peter on the boat. This moment, this story is what, friends, see this. This moment in Peter's life, this story is a defining moment. It's a defining moment in Peter's life, and it comes to him disguised initially as an interruption. Do you see this? It comes to him disguised as an inconvenience. A defining moment for Simon Peter in his life that will change the course of his life. And in fact, all of world history will be changed because of this moment. Comes to him disguised as an inconvenience. So I learned from this story that this moment that changed Peter's life forever at that time would have felt to him just nothing more than an inconvenience. I discover, and yet he was obedient, that our obedience in the inconvenience brings revival. There's the lesson for you. Here's, a, here's a, a simple application of that truth for you. You see, it is inconvenient to start my day with devotions when I'm just ready to rush out the door on a Monday morning to start my week. But it is that, that obedience in the inconvenience that brings life to me. But I want us to think about this moment from God's perspective. This defining moment, this thing that ultimately led Peter to flourish, to thrive, to be revived, to live up to his potential, came to him as an inconvenience. You are in my boat and I want to go to bed. But because he said yes to that and was obedient to that, his life was changed. And so, yes, from Peter's perspective, it was an irritation. It was frustration. It was inconvenient. But from God's perspective, and here's what I want us to see in the story. See what's going on. What was an inconvenience for Peter was actually the faithfulness and the love of God seeking him out. Do you see that? What he experienced as inconvenience was, in fact, the faithfulness of God seeking him out. 
in his tiredness, in his frustration, in his weakness, in the darkness of his soul. Jesus shows up and redefines his life, revives him, restores him, and sets him on the path of transformation from Simon to Peter. My beautiful friends, moments of struggle as they will no doubt be in the year 2024. Moments of struggle, moments of interruption, moments of inconvenience can so often be the faithfulness of God seeking you out, knocking on the door of your heart. And when we respond in obedience, as Peter did, we find our lives changed and we find ourselves flourishing. is something I notice in this story. Shall we read on? Verse 4 and 5. When he finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out farther into the deep water. That's our two key words for this. Into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, Master, we've <laughs> you've got to read between the lines here. Master, we've um, <clears throat> worked hard all night, and we caught nothing. I don't want to point it out, but we are the experts in fishing, and you are a preacher. <laughs> Doesn't say that in the Bible. I've added those words. But, and here's what we must notice. Oh, Peter, flawed but faithful. But because you say so, I will drop the nets. So imagine you have fished all night and you are in fact the expert and you have caught nothing. You've done it the right way. And a preacher comes along and we all know preachers know nothing about real life. telling him to go out to the deep water. And, and I'm sure we can uh, kind of uh, read between the lines in his response. Uh, I, I, he was kind of waiting, I think, for, you know, after he told Jesus this, for Jesus to say, oh, sorry, I didn't realize you'd be fishing all night. My bad, my mistake. You are the expert, I'm not. Sorry, forget what I said, let's go back. But Jesus did not say that. And again, Peter's obedience in the inconvenience ultimately brings life and revival to his soul. Interesting to note, they were in all likelihood fishing for a species called tilapia. You know tilapia. Now, I did a lot of fishing uh, when I was in high school. Now, those of you who know about fishing, and especially fishing for tilapia, will know this. Tilapia prefer shallow waters. Because they're safer there. They can hide between the reeds and the rocks. It's easy for them to feed, to lay their eggs. And when you fish for tilapia, as they were fishing for tilapia, they prefer shallow waters. So we must understand here, deep water in this place. Well, deep water is symbolic of so much. But in this context here, I think we must understand deep water symbolizes It doesn't make sense. The illogical, 
the inconvenient, the risky, is what deep water is about in this story here. Jesus doesn't make sense to go out in deep water. The fish is in the shallow water. We don't fish during the day. We fish during the night. And so now you're asking me to go out during the day to deep water. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. It is risky and it is inconvenient. I've also come to realize once again that part of praying, God, revive my heart, help me to flourish, restore my soul. Part of praying that is to be willing to say yes to God taking me to the inconvenient, taking me to the illogical, taking me to the risky, saying yes to God, taking me out of my comfort zone. 2024, if your heart seeks to flourish in every area of your life, maybe God might be saying to you, are you willing to go to the deep water with me it might be inconvenient, it may very well be risky, and it most definitely will probably end up being very illogical to you. And so when it comes to the end of this year, 2024, and I ask you, how has your year been? What will you say to me? Will you say to me, Paul, I stayed in the shallows, in the shallow water, or will you say to me, Paul, I went out to the deep waters with Jesus? And it didn't always make sense to me at the time. And it was a little bit risky at times, and it was a little bit uncomfortable and inconvenient as it was for Peter. But then look what happened. Let's read the rest of the story, verse 6 and 7. So they dropped the nets, and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners, James and John, in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. Oh, what is our logic to the wisdom of God Almighty? Here's what I want us to notice about verse 6 and 7. There's actually something interesting going on there. Oh, just so by the way, they would again experience this very same miracle in John's gospel after Jesus' resurrection. Do you remember? Side note. But there's an interesting metaphor happening in verse 6 and 7 that I would like to point out for us. And I think it's worth noting as we start the new year. Friends, Christians down the centuries saw this those verses as a metaphor. We have understood the followers of Christ for hundreds of years that the church becomes the boat and we are called to bring in the fish. We are called to be fishing for people. This is a metaphor for what the church is meant to be doing. Interesting. Here's something that you might find interesting. I don't know if you... So... Uh, I've saw what time. When I was doing my master's degree, um, I had to study church architecture. Why? I wondered for my whole life until I prepared for the sermon. <laughs> In church architecture, do you know what you call this bit where you sit, where the congregation sits? It's called the the nave. It's called the nave from the Latin word navis, where we get the English word navy from, which means ship or boat. 
So when we gather here to worship, we understand, and what we're meant to take out of those verses, when we gather here to worship, we are meant to understand that we are called to be the people, the place, the boat, the environment where those who seek to follow Christ can come. May we this year be reminded of our calling. We are meant to recognize that when we gather for worship, this is the nave, the navis, the navy, the ship, the boat, that we are meant to recognize that our task is to bring in the fish into the boat, the kingdom of God, to draw them to Christ our Savior. But above all, we are meant to recognize this in those verses. We are meant to recognize the power of Christ. For it is the power of Christ that beckons the fish into the net. And so I want to apply it this way as we step into this year. Will we recognize and acknowledge the power of Christ to beckon our children, our neighbors, our colleagues, our spouses? (laughs) He has the power to beckon them all into his presence. Peter was meant to see this, and he had caught nothing, and here in unlikely circumstances, he catches more than he had ever caught. Peter came, and this is just before Jesus said to him, now go fish for people, and, he was, and that was burnt, engraved upon his soul. God, you are powerful to fill my boat in unlikely and not helpful conditions. So when I do step out into the world and speak about who you are, I remember what you did on the lake that day. And when we leave this place, I remember the story of Jesus and Peter on the lake. And when I speak to my teenager who no longer comes to church with me, when I speak to my neighbor or my colleague or my husband that doesn't want to come to worship with me or my wife, whoever it may be, I remember that Jesus has the power to beckon the fish into the nets. Verse 8 to 10, I'm almost done, don't worry about it. When Simon, Peter, when Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. Jesus and jo- uh, James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partners, and they were amazed too. Peter's response here reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. May I just read it to you very quickly? And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
I want to say as I read those two verses, here is what I notice, here's the takeaway. If you and I are to flourish in 2024, if our souls and our hearts are to be revived and our lives change, there has to be this moment that there was for Peter and his friends in the presence of what Christ has just done. It was a twofold moment. First of all, it was a moment of recognition and acknowledgement of need. If I'm to flourish, there has to be a moment of recognizing and acknowledging, Jesus, I need you. I cannot without you. And then the second part of that recognition is a moment of bending the knee. And oh boy, how modern man hates to bend the knee. If we are to flourish and have our hearts revived, there needs to be that thing within us that says, God, I need you. And in acknowledgement of that, I will bend my knee to your lordship. Johan spoke about it last week. To your mastership, if I may make up a word. Your lordship, your kingship over me. I submit my life, my dreams, my hopes, my all to your kingship this year. And watch your life flourish. And then finally, verse 11. Jesus said to Simon, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. As soon as they brought the nets to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. Yes, I have one comment here, and then I will conclude, and we will share communion together. Yes, fishing for people is sharing with them our testimony. It's telling them about the love of God. It's reminding them of their sinfulness, and it is offering Christ. Yes, it's all those things, but I want to say to you, I think as I read the story, and I think about Peter and Jesus and their relationship, it is so much more. Fishing for people is so much more than just telling them about Jesus. It's showing them Jesus. It's living Jesus. It's being willing to pour into one another's lives, sacrificially, inconveniently. And if it interrupts me, then so be it. But there needs to be, if we are to flourish, if the church of Jesus is to stand strong in this day and age, then the people of Jesus needs to be willing to be fishing for people. And that is so much more than just saying people, hey, Jesus loves you. It is saying, let me show you. Let me love you. Let me be here for you. Let me help you. Let me pour my life into yours. Let me walk with you and see your life transformed and changed. That's what it means to be fishing for, for, for people. And can I just say one thing? And I think I can now say it. I'm over 50, so I'm allowed to say it. Us, and I include myself, us older generation, can I just say this to you? You're not going to like it, but it's true. We don't always have the best reputation with the younger generation. All too often they see us as grumpy and complaining about everything. If the church of Jesus is to thrive 
and flourish, then my generation, the older generation, must realize that to fish for Jesus is to take seriously our responsibility to love the generation behind us. That we have a responsibility to pass on the life lessons we've learned, the struggles we've been through, to teach them life. Young people, will you be humble enough to hear us speak into your lives? We've learned, we've seen, we've experienced, we've made mistakes. Old people, can we stop grumping and complaining about everything and pass on the baton to the new generation and bless them and help them and pour our lives into them? If the church of Jesus is to flourish in 2024, I'm going to stop now because time is up. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.